In today's episode, we'll talk with the poet Taylor Bias about her chapbook Blood Warm from Variant Lit. Today's episode is the second of a pair of episodes highlighting chapbooks from Variant Lit. Welcome to episode 18 of The Chapbook. I'm your host, Noah Stetzer. And I'm Ross White. Noah and I are directors and editors at Bull City Press, which publishes chapbooks, and sometimes when we're feeling saucy, full-length books of poetry, fiction, and nonfiction. We started this podcast to celebrate our love of chapbooks, to demystify the publishing process, and share chapbook news and happenings. Somebody told us that we have big dad energy, Noah. This podcast is like two dads. And while our theme music was playing, we did a little dance. And our guest today was looking at us like, oh, my God, who are these two dads? (laughs) Poetry dads. I'm really excited for today's guest. I have been reading and rereading Blood Warm. Uh, It's one of those books that is so satisfying and also sort of teaches you as you read it more about it with each rereading. Well, I want to be taught more by the author of Blood Warm, and she's here with us today. Taylor Bias is the author of Blood Warm, released in July 2021 by Variant Lit. She's a Black Chicago native, currently living in Cincinnati, Ohio, where she is a PhD student and Yates scholar at the University of Cincinnati and an assistant features editor for The Rumpus. She was the first place winner of both the Poetry Superhighway and the Frontier Poetry Award for New Poets contests. Her work appears in many places, such as New Ohio Review, Glass, and Hobart, and one bazillion other journals. Her debut full-length poetry, I Done Clicked My Heels Three Times, is forthcoming from Soft Skull Press in spring of 2023. There is so much more to follow. Just recently, she was announced as the winner of the Adrian Rich Award at the Beloit Poetry Journal. So welcome, Taylor Bias. Hello, Taylor. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me for that introduction. It's, it's so nice to be here with the both of you. To enjoy our big dad energy. Enjoy the poetry dad energy. Neither of us have kids, but somehow we're just (laughs) dripping with dad energy. This is your baby, your chapa. This is your your kid. I hadn't thought of that, but we have swaddled it. (laughs) Here we go. Taylor, I've... Like I said at the opening, I have been reading and rereading Blood Warm. And with each reading, I find more interesting work and and technique that you've done with forms. I'm just blown away by the skill and the artistry in your poems. Wow. I, I still, it doesn't feel real. Like months later, it still feels so odd to have this book out in the world. And I think also, you know, there are certain, there's like a difference between the way that I think full length collections are treated and, and chat books are treated, which is why I think it's really wonderful that you guys are, are doing this podcast to give chat books the attention that I think they deserve. But putting together this chat book and thinking about it as a project, I would say was just as hard, if not a little harder than probably thinking about my full length, just because of the space that you have to sort of put together a coherent thing that's working together, that's cohesive. And, and so to hear that it worked (laughs) to hear that I did a good job and that, and that people are returning to it and not just sort of reading it as, Oh, it's this, this chat book that this author has written and it's just going to go on the shelf really means a lot to me. So it, it, 
it's really meaningful to hear that you've had that experience and that you keep returning to it and learning more each time. I think a good project always invites the reader to return. It always yields something to the reader on a second reading. Taylor, when I first read Blood Warm, I just couldn't put it down because I was utterly captivated by the way there's a sort of book length argument. But on second read, I found that it was the book's formal mastery that was the thing that I was paying very careful attention to line by line. I was particularly struck by the fact that you returned to the pantoum, which is one of the most repetitive forms out there, like five or six times. Noah just did that mind blown hand motion in our video. The first time you read the book, you're sort of surprised to see this repetitive form. But the second time I read through, I was just in awe of how much it continued to reveal to me because the book is kind of a container for the pantoum and the pantoum serves as a kind of repetitive container for the generational violence, the cycle of violence against African-Americans and the black community. That just that absolutely blew me away and it absolutely haunts me. Yeah, I was in a reading once with Michael Frazier, and he was asked a question about um, a poem he had written, where I think it was a Venn diagram form. And essentially, his answer to the question was basically, when you write about certain things, and I think race is one of these things, there's often just so much to say. And form can be a sort of container to put it all into um, in a place to make it all make sense. When there's so much to say and when the emotion is, is overwhelming um, and when it's very easy to sort of say too much or to go overboard, the formal restraints sort of give you some guidelines and, and some guidance in, into how to how to say what you need to say. And I think that is very true of this chapbook and very true of, of the Pantoum form, which is one of my favorite forms. It's a form that I have talked about and screamed about, I think, on social media a lot, a form that I am trying to get people to fall in love with. I think it's intimidating a lot of times. Uh, repetitive forms tend to be for a lot of people. There's something about them for me that um, is just really exciting. It's, it's, it's sort of like a game, a puzzle, and figuring it out is, is so satisfying and rewarding. But I, I think especially in the, in the case of this project, also thinking about, you know, cyclical violence, uh, the pantoum just felt like a really, a really perfect form to return to. And I think thinking about the, the time of the chapbook as well, the, the way that time moves and the way that time shifts, thinking about the way that things return and how they return differently, but the same <laughs> was also, uh, I think like complimentary of, of other ways that the chapbook is working as well. So the pantoum just sort of wiggled its way into the book and into my heart ultimately <laughs> throughout this project. One of the other forms that's in the book that is another very difficult form, at least for me, is the Sestina. And I was and continue to be blown away by how effective it is for a lot of what those particular poems are talking about. I'm thinking of first, uh, I'm thinking initially of the first poem and how the Sistina makes so much sense in talking about social media and the repetition there. How did you come upon the Sistina and, and what's it like to work in that form? Yeah. So the Sistina that appears at the beginning of this book is 
actually probably the second Sistina I've ever written. The first one that I wrote was um, a poem about my father's alcoholism. And in that poem, there's a lot of the mind sort of going back and forth. Um, I think in a lot of cases, the Sistina for me at least has been a place where the mind can wander in ways that are productive. It's, it's like stream of consciousness, but controlled a little bit. And, you know, my Twitter feed becomes too much. It's definitely that sort of poem where there's the mind is just overwhelmed. There's just so much happening. And, and then you see the, the other one, the voicemail to Madam CJ Walker, which is a, a Sestina that I wrote much later. It's more controlled, I think, at least tonally. I think there's a, a tonal difference. Um, and I think that's just partially because I, I think I got a better grip on it after after practice. But I I came to this Asina because I felt like, you know, it's it's what, 30, 39 lines. It's a long, it's a long poem, but there's so much space. There's so much space and it's a perfect arena to let the mind wander, but to also have these sort of um, landmarks in, in the end words that you that you're sort of like reorienting yourself as you're getting dizzy in the poem. There are these moments where you can reorient the self. And so I think for a poem about Twitter and the overwhelming nature of Twitter, the Sistina felt really right. And what a process of <laughs> trying to get through that poem and still have things to say by, by like the fifth stanza. <laughs> oh, that was the Sistina is it's it's a marathon, <laughs> not a not a not a race for sure. Taylor, one of the concerns that the chapbook really seems to be addressing is one of geography. It's a chapbook that moves through the United States. It's a chapbook that really gets at the idea that place becomes us and we become place. And I think that that's borne out towards the end of the chapbook. I don't, I don't want to give away the ending for our readers, but can you talk a little bit about how place played into the construction of the book? Absolutely. Um, so this chapbook was currently residing in a larger project before I realized that it needed to be its own project. And that larger project was heavily thinking about place and geography and um, specifically what it was like to go from, you know, the south side of Chicago where I grew up to Birmingham in particular. Um, and that was that project. And then I realized I was like, oh, there's there's sort of more than just Chicago and Birmingham. And I was sort of writing new poems while part of the project was in this other manuscript. And then I realized I was like, actually, these sort of need to have a home <laughs> together uh, on their own. And I think geography shows up in the way that it shows up is because my experience as a Black woman in this country is so heavily influenced by where I am in the world. Just thinking about being in Birmingham, Alabama during the 2016 election, for example, and how that experience would have been incredibly different had I been somewhere else, had I been back home in Chicago. And, you know, one of the poems in the collection Gas Station talks about the experience of what it was like to be in Birmingham, Alabama the morning after and and just the sort of danger that, that essentially came with just where I was in this world um, and geographically. And so I think when we think about, you know, the experience of 
being a black person in this country, geography is always, always at the foundation of it. Geography is at the foundation of the decisions that we make. It's the foundation of how we choose future careers, uh, where to work. I mean, I'm always thinking about, will I be comfortable if I, if I go here? Will I be comfortable if I move here? And it's, and it's a consideration that, that I think other people take for granted. And, and so I think putting geography sort of like under people's noses in this collection and, and the importance of geography and how that affects my everyday existence was something that felt really important to the book for those reasons. Taylor, we're so grateful to get a chance to hear from you about how the book came about, your work with Form, and these really um, powerful themes that run through Blood Warm. I, I, I hope that everyone who has a chance to listen to this episode gets their, their own copy of Blood Warm if they don't have it already. Uh, I'm curious if you could recommend a favorite chapbook of your own that you might suggest. I've been reading so many chapbooks lately. And one chapbook that has really, really stuck with me and that I, that I personally am returning to is Lone Lily by Tariq Thompson. There's something about Tariq's voice and the music of this collection. And when I think about music and poems and sort of like the queen of that, I'm, I think of, of Patricia Smith, <laughs> um, who was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. But the music of, of this of this chat book is, is so stunning. And it's, it's something that I think... Um, I try to capture when I'm writing formal poetry, just thinking about music. I'm also just, you know, for my own PhD exams, I'm reading a lot about the history of music and Black poetry. And so it's it's thrilling when I read contemporary poets who are, are doing really exciting things with sound and music. And I think Lone Lily is, is, is a really exciting example of what can happen when a poet knows what they're doing and pays attention to that. Taylor, we want to make sure that our listeners know where to find you. You are the most entertaining poet on Twitter. Far and away, there is no better follow on the planet. So it's interesting that you open your book talking about some Twitter fatigue because no one ever gets tired of you on Twitter. Everyone loves you. So tell our listeners how they can follow you, how they can find you and how they can support you. Yeah, well, you can follow me and my gifts of myself on Twitter <laughs> at Taylor Bias, the number three. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at Taylor Bias Poet. And you can check out my website, which has a ton of links of my poems and also the link to go buy my book at www.taylorbias.com. And in case you couldn't follow all of that, we'll put some links in the show notes to make it so easy for you to find Taylor. Taylor, thank you so much for being with us today. And friends, if you like the podcast, be sure to click subscribe to get episodes as soon as they go live. We are on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, even the podcast service of a giant retailer that we will not name. Every review matters for a new podcast like ours. So if you have a moment, let us know what you think or rate us five stars or tell your friends.
You can find out what we're up to by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Bull City Press or visiting BullCityPress.com. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Ross White. And you can find me on Twitter. I'm at DC Noah. Or you can email us at chapbook at BullCityPress.com. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you soon. Well, I guess we won't see you. I guess we'll we'll send our voices to you soon. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>